And uh, some of you may know that Michelle, my wife, and I got a puppy of just over a week ago now. Uh, we got a little boxer puppy. And uh, that's her on the screen there. Her name is London. She is now almost 10 weeks old and we adore her. But not everything she does is adorable. Sometimes uh, she wakes up in the middle of the night crying for attention, so I have to go to all the effort to wake Mishan up to get her. <laughs> Other times, um, the most unadorable thing she probably does, though, is poop and pee in places where poop and pee don't belong. I've never known someone who was able to do their business as quick as this dog. I mean, we're walking around having a great time, you know, laughing, dancing, having fun. And then I look around at her and then there's this pile of brown poop there waiting for me to clean up. And it doesn't matter how cross I get with her or if I keep locking her outside as a punishment or ignore her for a while, she'll just go ahead and do it again. It's like a cycle that keeps on repeating itself. She does it over and over again. She poops. I get angry and discipline her. She gets upset. I feel compassion and let her back inside again. We're all good. And then she poops again and the cycle continues. And this is pretty much the book of Judges. Judges is kind of like London's poop cycle. Except we will call it the Judges cycle today. And we will see throughout this series how the people of Israel keep returning to this cycle again and again. Last week, Adam kicked off our series by introducing the book of Judges and the background behind it. And this week, we're going to look at Judges 2 verse 6 to 3 verse 6. So if you want to open your Bibles there now to Judges 2 verse 6, we're going to be spending time there today. And in 2 verse 6, we're looping back around for a kind of second introduction to the book. In fact, we haven't actually moved further in time at all. We haven't moved further chronologically. We're moving back to reflect on Joshua's generation again. Let me read it to you, starting in 2 verse 6. It says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua and the people of his time are used as a contrast for this new Israelite generation and Judges. And their time is the backdrop by which we see just how dark Israel became during this period. And this is really quite scary because Joshua's generation wasn't perfect. When Joshua was speaking to them in Joshua 24 verse 19, he himself said, you are not able to serve the Lord. He told them that because of God's holy and jealous nature that he would judge them if they rebelled against him. But they insisted that they wanted to worship God. So Joshua said in verse 23, Then put away the foreign idols that are among you. It seems as though they were already struggling with idol worship. The Joshua generation was most certainly not squeaky clean. And one of their most devastating errors was failing to pass on their personal knowledge of the Lord to the next generation. Because the next generation didn't know the Lord. In Judges 2 verse 10 it says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, 
So the Joshua generation at that time, they passed away. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord and the work that he had done for Israel. Now what does it mean that they did not know the Lord? Well, I'll let Timothy Kellaway in here. He says, the word know probably doesn't mean that they did not know about the exodus, the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan and the walls of Jericho falling, but rather that the saving acts of God were no longer precious and central to them. They had not learned to revere and rejoice in what God had done. In other words, they had forgotten the gospel that they were saved from slavery in Egypt and brought into the promised land by the gracious, mighty acts of God. One of the most devastating errors of the Joshua generation was their failure to pass on their personal knowledge of the Lord to the next generation. Because once a person's heart disengages from God, once a person's heart no longer treasures the gospel, they either turn to rebellion or to legalism. Their faith either starts to become non-existent or their faith becomes cold, dry and judgmental. And the judges' generation did not treasure the good news that they were saved from slavery. They did not know and love the Lord, so they turned to rebellion. They became so much like the nations around them that they were, you could hardly tell them apart any longer. Once a person's heart disengages from God, they either turn to rebellion, in the case of judges, or to legalism. And this is why your primary purpose, parents, is not teaching your children what to do, but who to love. Your primary purpose is not teaching them what to do, but who to love and treasure. And this is why our primary purpose as Christians who mentor and disciple others is not simply telling them what is right and wrong, wrong, although that is part of it, but it's pointing them to the beauty of God. It's pointing them to His glory, His beauty, to His great grace given to us in the Gospel. The Joshua generation were meant to demonstrate to their children a deep love and gratefulness to God for His merciful acts toward them. Their great deliverance from slavery in Egypt was meant to be on their hearts and in their minds at all times. Israel's redemption from slavery in Egypt was a foreshadowing of the Gospel. It was the event to which they could look to see the goodness and the grace of God. This was meant to inform their identity as God's chosen people and empower their obedience towards him. In Moses' famous sermon in Deuteronomy, Egypt is mentioned 52 times. And nearly all of the 52 times Egypt is mentioned, it is a reference to the Exodus, that great deliverance of Israel from slavery. And in his sermon, Moses was speaking to the Israelites at a time when they were on the cusp of entering the promised land. And he knows, he knows that they will be tempted to forget what God has done. So he draws their attention again and again to the Exodus. Let me read some of the references to you. Deuteronomy 1 verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. 4 verse 20, the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance 
as you are this day. And later on in chapter 4, Moses says, And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and commandments. Moses kept reflecting again and again on Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt, on God's gracious acts to save them. And notice the word therefore in verse 40. This little word is a reminder that Israel's obedience was meant to flow out of their knowledge of God's grace towards them. And this is precisely the knowledge that the older generations had failed to pass on to the generations and judges. So let me, although I'm not a parent, be so bold as to ask you parents these questions. Not on the basis of my experience, but on the basis of God's word. How are you seeking to impress upon your children the majesty and the beauty of God? Do they see in your lives a genuine desire to live life for Jesus? Timothy Keller, talking to parents, says, he says, most Christians rely on institutions and formal instruction to pass on the faith. We think that if we instruct our children in true doctrine, shelter them from immoral behaviour and involve them in church and religious organisations, then we have done all we can. But youth are turned off not only by bad examples, but also by parents who are not savvy about the lives and world their children are living in, or who cannot be open about their own interior spiritual lives. Now, this isn't about being a perfect example. No parent is perfect. But it's about living out your faith in meaningful ways before your children's eyes and telling them all about a God who rescued you from slavery and brought you into glorious relationship with himself. This is so, so important. And we will see why as we study the generation who forgot. The book of Judges now leaves the Joshua generations behind and focuses in on that generation that forgot, that generation that did not know the Lord. We see in the next verses, Judges 2 verses 11 to 16, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the the idols of the land. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And continuing on in verse 19. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled. And it goes on and on again. This 
is the notorious judges cycle. The downward spiral that we see throughout the book of Judges. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So then they were in terrible distress. So the Lord was compassionate. He raised up judges. He delivered. He saved them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back again. So the anger of the Lord was kindled and on and on it goes. In your growth group guide, this cycle is explained through four words. Rebellion, retribution, repentance and rescue. The Israelites would rebel. They would receive retribution for what they did. So then they repented or sometimes they even just felt sorry. They didn't even repent. And so then God rescued them. But then they go back into rebellion and the cycle just goes on and on again. And it gets frustrating to read after a while. I mean, why couldn't they just keep with repentance? Why couldn't they just stick with God and obey him? Why? Well, the same reason, it's the same reason that we don't. It's because they were under the curse of sin. And their desire to rule their own lives and go their own way is really what the essence of sin is. And when you think about it, that's an extremely acceptable concept in this day and age. To make my own decisions and go my own direction in life sounds completely acceptable in our culture. To follow your heart sounds absolutely fine to Australian ears. But the Bible tells us that to rule our own lives is actually sin. The first chapters of Genesis are absolutely essential for our understanding of sin. So turn with me to Genesis 1 in your Bibles for a moment. In Genesis 1, we learn much about who God is, that he is the creator and so forth. But I want, what I want you to notice is what God says after each day of creation. What he does. In Genesis 1, verses 3 to 4, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Verse 10. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Verse 12. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And so on in verses 18, 21, 25, and 31. So what is Genesis 1 teaching us about God in these verses? Because it wasn't written for scientific purposes, it's teaching us something about God. So what is it teaching us? Well, it's pretty simple. It's teaching us that God is the one who declares what is good. God is the one who decides what is good. Sounds simple enough. So what does this have to do with the nature of sin? Well, when Adam and Eve rebelled, what was the nature of their rebellion? What was it that Eve first did? We see what she does in Genesis 3 verse 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good. What? This was the tree that God had told them not to eat from. It was the tree that he specifically declared was not good. But Eve embraced Satan's advice and had decided for herself what was good. And this helps us to understand what Satan actually meant when he tempted Adam and Eve by saying that when they eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve did indeed become like God. They became their own gods and decided for themselves what is good and what is not. 
You see, we were supposed to live in God's kingdom under his rule in Genesis 1. But Satan's kingdom is one in which we have made ourselves our own gods and decided for ourselves what is good. This is the essence of sin, that we have taken over the rule of our lives. We want to run them. We want to decide what is good for us. We want to be God. And this is absolutely tragic. Not only did we reject the rule of our loving Father, the one who brought us into this world, the one who absolutely knows what is good for us, but we became slaves to our own sinful nature. And that's what's being played out in the book of Judges. We see sin growing and bearing fruit. We see where the effects of our rebellion and self-rule lead us, and it is horrific. Time and time again, after God had delivered them from their enemies, they turned back. They decided to rule their own lives again. They decided to walk away, and it led them to destruction. It led them to heartbreak. It led them to tragedy. And I'd be surprised if there are Christians in this room, Christians who genuinely desire to follow God who have not found themselves in the judges cycle at some point or another. You know, God is good to us, but we so easily take up the rule of our own lives, just living life, focusing on ourselves, our career, our family, our partner, getting stuck in sinful self-rule again. And then we start to taste how bitter this way of life really is. We realise that career is a harsh God and that it's driving us into the ground. Or our partner doesn't please us enough, they, they can't fill the void. Or we have trouble with that family member or that child again. Or we find ourselves addicted to television or food or pornography. And we realise how bitter this way of life really is. And we might even feel the loving discipline of God in our lives. So we repent. We feel restored, we feel close, but then after a while we forget. It's like we have some kind of amnesia concerning God's goodness and grace toward us and we turn back again to sin, to self-rule. And the judge's cycle keeps humming. Where is the judge's cycle operating in your life right now? Is there an addiction you keep going back to? Is it comfort food? Is it TV? Is it online gaming? Is it the opinion of others? Is it pornography? Is it alcohol? What is it? Because Judges shows us that it only leads to destruction. Don't we realise that we are only allowing ourselves to be ruled by things that are merely created rather than being ruled by God, the Creator. And this is the tragic thing about our sin and rebellion, this, this nature that is inside all of us. The tragic thing is that it never leads to life. In Romans 6 it says, For the wages of sin is death. And we see this in Judges. The Bible is so clear. The Israelites rebel and they experience the bitter consequences of their sin. And the ironic thing is that our sin, far from freeing us, actually leads us into slavery. 
It leads us to slavery. In Judges 2 verse 18, we see this subtly. Let me read it to you. It says, For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. The people's sin led to God's power being removed from them. And instead they received judgment. They reaped the consequences of their sin. And they groaned under the weight of it. It was as if they were in slavery again in Egypt. Dale Ralph Davis says, The groaning of verse 18 is a noun used only three other times in the Old Testament, two of which are in the Exodus. In Exodus, There the groaning is that of Israel under Egyptian slavery. There's a subtle hint there that they have returned to slavery. The Israelites found themselves in the same situation that they were in during their harsh time in Egypt. They were in slavery again, maybe not literally, but spiritually and emotionally, they were enslaved. And they groaned under the taskmaster of sin. And this is the irony of Adam and Eve's rebellion. They thought that the fruit was good and that they would become like God. And indeed, in a sense, they did. They made decisions like he did about what was good and what wasn't. They ruled themselves rather than living under his rule. But the sad and ironic truth is that it led them to slavery. And this is even more ironic because of the fact that part of our identity as human beings is not to be slaves to creation, but actually to rule over creation. Yes, we were meant to live under God's rule, but on the flip side, we were meant to image him by ruling over creation. Pay attention to the language in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion, let them have the rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created us to rule over created things. But because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve, our image was distorted. Something happened to humankind. Now look at Deuteronomy 4, verse 16 to 19 with me. Deuteronomy is written after the rebellion of Adam and Eve. and This is after sin has entered the human story. Now pay attention to the language it uses. It's remarkably similar, similar to Genesis 1 verses 26 to 27. It says, Moses says to them, Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps in the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Can you see what has happened here? In Genesis 1, God declared declare that, that we would rule over creation. We would reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the animals, the creeping things on the earth. Yet here in Deuteronomy, Moses has to warn humanity not to bow down to these things and to worship them. When we accepted Satan's rule, we actually lost the ability to rule. But not only that, we lost the ability to truly worship 
God and instead we started creating other things for ourselves to worship. We started enslaving ourselves to other things rather than ruling over them. This is the human condition. And the sad thing is that it gets even worse. In Judges 2 verse 19 it says, But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. The sad thing is that not only are we enslaved when we live under the influence of sin, but we degenerate. Corruption increases. We become progressively worse. This is the effect of idolatry. This is the effect of ruling our own lives. This is the effect of sin. And this is why we see the downward spiral in Judges. By the end of the book, we see some horrific stories because idolatry leads to death. Look at Psalm 115 with me. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. The picture that is being painted in these verses is that these idols are dead. They cannot see, they cannot taste, they cannot hear, they cannot smell. They are dead. And the shocking thing is that we become like these idols when we worship them, when we trust in them. It says that in verse 8, Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. When we trust in dead idols, when we trust and worship anything other than God himself, we become increasingly dead. We become more and more deaf to the voice of God. We become more and more blind to his beauty and his glory. Idolatry leads to death. And the more we worship idols, the more we degenerate. Corruption increases. We become progressively worse. This is the book of Judges. And indeed, we find ourselves within a similar story today. And this all begs the question, is there any hope? Both the Israelites and us today find ourselves in a pretty hopeless situation. I mean, born into sin, getting stuck in judges' cycles, being enslaved to idols, becoming more and more deadened to the glory and the beauty and the majesty and the power and the reality of God. So is there any hope? Well, there is. And it's found in the one that we rebel against. It's found in the God that we have rejected. He is our hope. Now, if he was only an angry judge, we would have no hope. We would be destroyed. And if he was a God who was only compassionate, then we would also have no hope because he would never deal with the sin and evil that plagues us. He would just look over it. But the God of the Bible is not a God who was made up by human minds. No one could have fabricated him. He is so just and holy that he judges Israel for their sin. His anger burns against them. But he is so compassionate 
and merciful that he delivers them over and over again. I mean, they simply groaned and he saved them. It doesn't even say that they repented. It doesn't even say that they turned away from their sin. It says they simply groaned under the weight of slavery and God was moved with compassion. The truth is that the justice and compassion of God meet in all their fullness at the cross. It's at the cross that we see Jesus taking on our sin and rebellion and making it his own. And God's holy, just wrath being poured out into Jesus. And yet it's at the cross where we see the compassion of God extended to people like you and me. He went to great lengths to redeem us from sin and slavery. And instead of putting us to death, he died for us. He took our judgment in our place so that we could be forgiven. And there's even more. He has not only made a way for our past, present and future to be wiped completely clean, he's also made a way for us to return to the image of Genesis 1. He's also made a way for us to rule again. He is, he has and he is restoring this image in us, enabling us to rule over creation again, enabling us to break out of the judges' cycles in our lives. In Romans 6, verses 4 to 7, it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. And then in verse 11 it says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Wow. Something miraculous happens when we put our faith in Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are united with him. We are made one with him. He in us, we in him. So much so that it's as if we died on the cross with him. So much so that it's as if we rose from the grave with him. And through this miraculous union with Jesus, we have died to sin. And we rise to life. And because of this, we are released from our slavery. We are released from our bondage to sin. And we are initiated into newness of life, church. So the truth is that there is hope. The truth is that you can change. The truth is that you don't have to stay addicted. You don't have to stay In the judges' cycle, you don't have to. Our greater deliverer, Jesus Christ, has made a way for us to break the cycle. So now I'm going to invite us to bow our heads now and close our eyes. I'm going to lead us just in a time of response. So if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. It's just a time between you and God to reflect on your relationship with Jesus and to think about that for a moment. Have you been stuck in a judge's cycle? 
Are you stuck in some addiction? Give those things to God. Surrender them to Him again. Let go of the lie that you can't. Jesus has made a way for you to be free. While we keep our eyes closed and heads bowed, there might be some of you here this morning that don't know Jesus and you've realised that you don't want to rule your own life. You don't want to live for yourself any longer. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to know his abundant life, if you want to know his freedom, then you can just quietly, to yourself, you can speak to him now and say, Jesus, I repent of ruling my own life. I want to follow you. Father God, we just come before you as your church this morning. And Lord, Judges makes us ask these questions. Is there any hope? It's full of rebellion and heartbreak and tragedy. And we realize that we're the same people today, prone to wander, prone to forget your goodness and your grace. Jesus, we ask for your grace. Help us to remember. Help us to walk with you. We just surrender those places in our lives that we've held back from you. We give those places to you again. We want to stand up again and say, I'm going to fight sin again. I'm going to fight against this addiction. I can change because you have made a way for us, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. We thank you for your great love and the life that you give us, your peace, your freedom. We worship you. We love you because of all that you've done. And we pray these things in your name because we know it is powerful and able. Amen. Church, if we continue to respond and reflect, can I invite you to stand? as we sing about he who surely has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed.